dreary January day here in Wormtown at the Crawl Space Studios. I am Tim, and I'm here with Lance. What's up, Lance? Not too much. It's uh, certainly dreary outside, rainy, cold, as uh, as my uh, father would say, raw. This is raw temperatures, raw conditions, but it is certainly not dreary nestled within the Crawl Space Studios. Here. No, it's nice and warm here. So welcome to Crawl Space. It is with great pleasure we get to bring you this conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago with you, me, Greg Overacker, private investigator and bounty hunter and general badass Greg Overacker, who's been working the Brianna Maitland missing person case for 13 years uh, at this point. And we also have Chloe Cantor, our co-host in the series on as well. It was really cool to have uh, Greg and Chloe both here in the studio uh, live with us. And like you said, it turned into a conversation. It, when you're over Skype or over the phone, it's very interview-like. But when you're in person, you get to feed off of each other's uh, you know, gestures and uh, you know, nuances. And it was really fitting to start the new year by having Greg on for the first of 2018 Brianna Maitland episodes. Sort of a recap, sort of a, you know, here we go type episode. Yeah, a little bit of a reset on where we're at with the case. Um, You get to hear from Greg, who knows the ins and outs of it. And if you're watching the YouTube version, you may see some disembodied legs in one of the camera angles, and that is Greg Overacker's significant other. Becky. So thanks, Becky, for making the trip out to the Crawl Space Studios. Greg is really a wellspring of stories. And while he does meander a bit, at times it's purposeful and it's somehow uh, relatable and always comes back to the main purpose of the of the original story. So um, you'll find yourself getting lost as when I was listening to it, even in person and then the recording, you find yourself getting lost in his stories. And just when you start to think, what does this have to do with what he started with or what did he start with? It comes full circle. And it's, uh, I don't think he realizes how sort of brilliant a storyteller he is. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely a great storyteller. So we start to talk about some of the persons of interest in the case uh, during this conversation. So we just want to give you a quick oversight on some of the people that we do mention, some of the people that come up like Ramon Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson. And if you've seen the Disappeared episode about Brianna Maitland, then you've seen a lot about those two guys specifically because they sort of pointed at those two guys and said they're the most interesting persons of interest. So we cover them a little bit. We also talk about Jorge Soto, uh, who is also a career criminal. Very scary uh, individuals, if any of these people are involved. These are individuals that we have brought up in uh, the previous episodes of Crawl Space, uh, either with uh, either with Chloe or with Greg or with um, Bruce. Uh, all of the people that we mention, Ryan Soto, uh, even even the ones that aren't mentioned but uh, alluded to, and Chloe was invited by Lou Barry, who's an investigator who's worked with uh, Greg and the family, uh, to one of these interviews where she had a first face-to-face um, interaction with uh, with some of these you know criminal characters who are part of the case. Yeah, so she describes that a little bit, and we kind of talk about what that's like and uh, specifically what that instance was like and some interesting stories as well. Yeah, I think everybody's going to enjoy listening to it. We, we talk about Brianna. We talk about, you know, we get into some conspiracy, like real quick conversations about that. But again, it all comes back to Greg's overall point. 
Um, one thing that I want to mention before we get to the interview is the uh, the nonprofit that we are now uh, on the board of directors. Yes, very cool. And it comes up in the interview, and it's called Private Investigators for the Missing. And it's uh, quite an honor to be a member of this foundation on the board of directors, along with Bruce Maitland. The main objective of this uh, nonprofit is to provide resources for families who have been searching for missing loved ones, missing family members. Oftentimes, too often, we get into the circumstances where the police uh, are coming up with nothing and time is elapsing and families only resort is to hire a private detective. And Greg speaks about how much private detectives cost with uh, their day rate, with expenses, and no, 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 no regular person can afford $250 a day plus expenses. And this seems like such a great, it's such a great idea because it's such an obvious idea. This needs to be in existence. So we're happy to be a part of it, and we talk about it a little bit and uh, in more detail in the conversation. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy it. And follow us on Twitter at CrawlSpacePod. Oh, and check out our new podcast coming soon called Empty Frames. Follow us on Twitter at Empty underscore Frames. feels pretty natural to go into um, a quick recap. Uh, Brianna went missing in March of uh, 2004. What have we learned in the time that uh, we all got together and started uh, communicating and working on this case? What have we learned in the, in the meantime since we all started sharing this information? You know, it's odd. The more people you talk to, the less it seems like the the less information you get, but at the same time, you're eliminating people. Um, constantly hearing stories, constantly hearing rumors and following up on them. And um, I want to talk about Lou Barry, too, who came to work with us. Um, Lou just offered himself up and fantastic guy, retired police chief. And, um, you know, we're really happy to have him with us. And he's been really aggressive, kind of put a fire under everybody. And, uh, you know, it's funny, he's going back, a very experienced investigator, he's going back and he's talking to people that I talked to years ago, which is a great thing. He's talking to people I never talked to. It's such an odd thing that you, you talk to all these people and they, A, either lie to you or lie to you unintentionally because they don't know, they're telling you a story that they believe, but it's a lie <laughs> once you follow up on it. Or, you know, it's all rumors, so it, it's it's a vicious circle he and I have had a lot of discussions of the fact that it's just aggravating. It can drive you crazy. So, and Chloe kind of knows that. She went along and spoke to some people with us. And, you know, it's, it's trying to, it's like trying to pull teeth. And you don't know what to believe sometimes. So how is Lou going about finding these people uh, that you did and didn't talk to? You know, it's funny, Lou's uh uh, retired police chief, like I said. I mean, he's been on the, he was on the force, I think, 35 years. Teaches at, uh, you know, I can't give you his bio. He could do that better than me. I don't want to do it injustice. But uh, he teaches now, the academy and stuff like that. 
What does um, he teach? Uh, he teaches, police, uh, you know, cadets. Okay. okay. Yeah, up and coming police he, officers. He declined the interview. We would have asked him, but I think eventually he will. Okay. I, um, I, I hope think, so. Just I think at this point he's just kind of wants wants to work on it. You know, you know, you meet a guy like that who's who's been in police work for so long and is now retired. Sometimes those guys don't have the skills as far as uh, technology. Well, he does. So he go, he you know he's, he's got the old school and he's got the you know, the new stuff. So he finds these people whether he has to go out and find them on foot. Or he has to look him up, uh, you know, on some search sites, and he, he does a great job of it. And um, interviewed some people that I really, really wanted to talk to. And uh, it's nice to know that I can trust him, and he, I don't have to worry about, oh, gee, should I be there? Do I want to be present to, you know, I, I get the story from him correctly. You know, he relates it to me correctly, and, and I don't have to worry about whatever interview he does. I know he's going to be done right, so... So it sounds like a welcome relief to have somebody like Lou um, there with you. Over the years, you know, we've had a ton of people come in and want to be involved, it, it recently also, and they don't last. I mean, they, they last anywhere from days to months, and they're, they either just walk away, which is, in my mind, just a horrible thing to do, to, you know, come into the loop with Bruce and then walk away from him. You just can't do that. If you're going to get involved in this thing, you're in or you're out. Or uh, they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, we had one guy that actually lasted a couple of hours <laughs> because we found out who he was. And, no, we don't want you on board, you know. Good. Can you tell us that story? Well, that's – I don't know how much I should say about it, but he was a guy that contacted us recently. And uh, Lou actually found his bio. Well, it was a, it was a newspaper article that was, that was put out about him um, out of Burlington. He's a private investigator. I don't know if he's licensed. I didn't look into that. But, you know, they, they put the people are private investigators in these articles, and you don't know until you check with the state or whatever because they just call themselves that, which is just – I don't understand that. You are a licensed yeah. private investigator. Yeah. Okay. But it would be like you, Lance, walking outside your house and hanging up a sign that says dentist, you know, <laughs> and working on people's teeth, you know, it's just – you can't do that. It, it, there's, there's root. There's the, the state actually monitors this and licenses people for a reason, right? Because I, because I brush my teeth three times a day and floss, that gives me the right to call myself. Therefore, a dentist. you are a yeah. dentist. Yeah. yeah, I am Asian. Therefore, I know karate. Yeah. So uh, he actually looked up this article and I read it. And I, I don't know if I sent it to you guys. Did you? Did you get that? You would remember. This guy touted you himself. Sent a lot of articles. You, you told yeah. it to us. I don't think you sent this to uh, us. Though. He, he I, I hope I brought you a copy. He touted himself as a private investigator, a bounty hunter, and a bunch of other things. Uh, in the state of New York, you have to be licensed as a bounty hunter unless you're a private investigator. If you are a private investigator, you're clawed in. Then you can perform those duties. He actually stated in the article that they didn't carry firearms, and I am to soon by the way the article went, that they aren't licensed for a reason to carry firearms. So instead they carried handgun BB guns, and he actually told how powerful they were. And he made the comment that when we go into a grocery store wearing our outfits, they, you know, their BDUs or whatever they call them, and with our handguns on our side and stuff, people don't mess with us. And all I could think was, who messes with you in your Hannafords anyway? You know, are you walking through the... You know, the proto-style and people are jumping you from behind or something? They they really diffused the the potential danger Yeah, but right off the bat. If you're living in such a bad neighborhood that you have to dress up as a fake cop, 
you, you need to move. So what, <laughs> I don't, I don't what a f- totally absurd thing to say. They don't <laughs> mess with me when I go into Hannaford. Yeah. And I got my gun on my side. They don't mess with me when I go into the supermarket too, when I have my coat on. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah, you're undercover. It may or may not have anything to do with the coat. I don't know. Yeah. So, and he made a lot of other comments and uh, that they carry tasers and all this other stuff, you know, I don't know about there, but you know, where I am, that stuff's illegal. You can't carry that stuff. So if I was a district attorney and I sat down and I read this article, I'd think, this is a public menace. You know, <laughs> this guy's going to hurt somebody. He actually made the comment of um, that he could go down to uh, wherever and grab a bunch of warrants from the police station or the courthouse and go and pick all these people up. And he said, well, I wouldn't get paid but because that's not how that works, but I would be doing a public service. First of all, that's illegal. You can't do that. You can't. You can't just because you know somebody's wanted. You can't just go tackle them and take them to jail, and go ta da. You know I'm a superhero. It doesn't work that way. Um, when you work for a bail bondsman and you're considered a bail enforcement agent, bounty hunter, that bail bondsman, <clears throat> because he's a licensed bail bondsman, he's an insurance agent. Okay, and he has the right when you sign that contract when you go to or get bonded out of jail, you sign that contract. You agree that he can come and arrest you anywhere in the country. Uh, Some states differ, but um, he can break and enter your home. Uh, He can search your vehicle. If he feels you're going to flee, if someone comes up and says, hey, Lance is going to take off, he's going down to Florida, he can go and arrest you and take you to jail. No questions asked. They don't care if you – it's not your court date yet. And that's something that's something you can do, right? It, it, what I what they do, the bondsman, when he yeah. comes to you and he says, "Hey, I want you to work for me," he gives you a, a, a written power of attorney. Okay, that power ter- of attorney passes that power, the power of arrest, over to me, so that I can go out and perform on his behalf. And you have to carry that all the time because if you don't, it's kidnapping. Right. You go to prison, and you know there's so there's there's other paperwork you have to carry too. You have to carry a, a copy of the bond agreement. Because when a, when you're in North Carolina and you tackle somebody in the street, and the police roll up and they're like, "What the hell's going on?" You know, you don't work for my police department. You show them this this document. Look, I have a contract here. He signed in the state of New York. He's uh, under bail bond, and here's my power of attorney. I work for that bail bondsman, and I'm here to arrest him. Okay, you're good. So, for this guy to say that he could just go down and, and grab warrants and just go start tackling people, huge no no. I mean, it, it's hugely illegal. End up in jail. So I'm picking through this thing, and every page I'm seeing something that's illegal on it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this district attorney, if he ever saw this, he would just freak out. So then we, you know, we did contact the guy because we didn't know him initially. Come to find out he doesn't own a car. That that must make uh, the work a little bit more uh, <laughs> challenging. Yeah, I would say that would make it difficult. I don't know if he's got himself a 10-speed or what. But, yeah, so there's people like that that come and go. You know, they come in, and you check them out, and now, at the time, we were thinking, geez, you know, we could have him run to the courthouse, get some paperwork for us. We could have him do this. Because for me, it's a drive to go up to Burlington or, or Vermont, and it costs us money, which goes into the whole reason that we're starting the foundation. Yeah, I would love to get into that. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good segue. Yeah. Um, this foundation is uh, something that Bruce Maitland has uh, decided to start, and he's using um, your resources as well. Uh, do you want to tell us? That all started as years ago. Um, I brought it up, and I, I kind of... I just wouldn't leave it alone with Bruce. I'm like, you know, consider that for a minute that, you know, Bruce and Kelly were average folks and um, their child goes missing. Uh, 
the police investigation doesn't work like it does on television. So it doesn't wrap up in 90 minutes and everybody's happy or it's kind of happy. So you have to go out and hire a private investigator. Some of these guys charge $200 an hour plus expenses. You're talking about court paperwork, uh, whatever you have to pay for, gas, hotel rooms. Nobody can afford that, you know. So I said, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? And as I talked to other people, I had heard that Mark Kloss from the Kloss Kids, Poly Kloss Foundation, he would go around and speak at different law enforcement events. And he actually had brought that up that he thought it would be a great idea. So I kept bringing it up to Bruce over the years. And finally he said, you know, I'm going to do this. I have the money to do it. I'm going to do it. So he did. He he got, uh, paid an attorney and started the ball rolling. You know, there's paperwork you have to fill out. You have to submit it to the IRS. But you have to have certain things you have to submit with it. And one of them was uh, board of directors and things like that. And I heard that he asked you guys to get involved. That's correct. And we we happily agreed to be involved yeah. at whatever level that, uh, that what, you What want. did he ask you guys to – what roles did he ask City, you to step into? Yeah, two uh, treasurer and secretary. And I was very forceful that I wanted to wear the sexy secretary glasses. <laughs> so I am the secretary. Nice. I was yeah. very forceful that Tim wore the sexy secretary glasses. <laughs> nice. So, um, he was fine with that. Yeah. I mean, are you Excited, guys – Excited. Delighted. Yeah, you guys absolutely. are actually you know, very capable of filling those positions, so – yeah, all, all jokes aside, it is something that we're uh, really passionate about. Um, obviously, we've been doing this for over a, a couple of years now. Um, well, he's got his case is something we want to help as much as we can. Yeah, he's you know he he wouldn't just put you on there to fill the role for to, to satisfy the IRS. He knows that you're capable of filling the position, and and he's got some pretty incredible people lined up for uh, the positions he had to fill. I, you know, that's something better to ask him about. He's more up on it than I am. I, you know, he just lets me know where it's standing at, at whatever time I talk to him and how it's coming along and stuff like that. But yeah, it started out as, and he just said, look, you know, you're going to be my full-time guy. Uh, you know, that, that means that I'm going to be on the road probably four or five days a week, every week. Explain to us what the objective of the foundation is. It's to provide private investigators to families who of missing people, not just missing children. Um, so they don't have to pay for anything, um, and it's supplied for them. If you look at these, I mean, you can look on the internet and find missing persons in your area from either recently or years ago. I mean, it's not hard to do. And there's just hundreds and hundreds and no lack of the need for it, but who can afford it? I mean, you'd have to be wealthy. And usually these, um, the need for it is when, uh, it's getting to the point where it's becoming a cold case and the police have lowered it on their priority list. Yeah. So the families are in need of a private investigator. They're in need of some sort of alternative investigation. You know, and I don't ever blame the police for that. And, and, and I don't think it's that it's fallen on their priority list either. It's just that they're the police and there's a constant need on them. They're always pulled away. Yeah. It's difficult for them and they have a budget. And they only have so many officers, and only so many officers trained to do so many things. And, um, you know, the officers, the the state police that investigate Brianna's case are really good. But they have other things they need to do. Uh, They'll they'll get to what we give them. We hand them something. They're happy to have it, and they go out and they work it. But, you know, if if they're working on a particular shooting or something at the time, or uh, right now there's an officer involved shooting up in Vermont that 
that's being worked on pretty heavily, but they'll get to it and they will work on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I would never step in. I don't, I would never do that if a family called right away and said, we want your, you know, this just, just happened. I'd say, you know, you need to let the police handle this. That's their job. Is the goal to have the foundation up and running and functional by, um, in 2018? Yeah, I'm cool. hoping so. Cool. I absolutely hoping so. Now, uh, obviously just, in this conversation already, we can kind of hear that things are always moving. Things are always happening in this case behind the scenes. If we're not talking about it, it doesn't mean that stuff isn't going on. Now, Greg and Chloe and Lou, you guys went up to Vermont a month or and a half ago or two months ago or something like that, had some interviews. Um, can you guys give us any update on, on how that went or anything you can say? Well, let's not mention any names. <laughs> but Chloe will attest to the fact. Is that the first time you've ever done something like that? Yeah. Yeah. She'll attest to the fact that you don't know what you're walking into. I, I did because I had spoken to this person before. But and I couldn't wait to see the look on your face, actually. So I went back to the address that I had spoken to this person, cold knocked on the door, asked if this was possible that Lou and, and Chloe could come in and sit down and talk with her. And um, they did. And it was bizarre, wouldn't you say? Yes, yeah. Absolutely. You're talking to people that live a lot differently probably than most and um, maybe have had a hard life and have witnessed things that maybe you haven't. <laughs> and, um, you know, rough, rough kind of people, at least from my standpoint. And I deal with a lot of those people. I see it all the time. You know, we talked about, I told you before, work when I was young and I went out and started working on the road. You realize how bad places really are and the bad people are actually out there and it's, it's a large population you go into a major city and unfortunately like i told you i would always have to go to the bad part of town and deal with people who are disadvantaged and underprivileged and maybe uneducated and for whatever reason they're in their situation but uh yeah and chloe did well <laughs> yeah so, i want to i want to hear what, what it was like for chloe yeah I and if you could give us just a little bit of background as to who you were speaking with without giving away too much, um, you know, I don't want anything to in affect the investigation. Was, is, this a, is this a suspect, someone with information, and maybe a quick, like, detail of, of the location? Outside of Burlington, they gave information years ago that I thought was really important. I still do. I still think there's some truth to it. It's kind of difficult to explain. And when you're dealing with somebody like that, it's it's difficult because they're not very considered trustworthy you know there's some there's a difference in people you can put on a stand in front of a jury <laughs> and people that you want to take information from and, and take the good from the bad and follow up on it you're going to follow up on it anyway but i i really believed what she had to say um the problem is is that she's just not uh i don't know how to put this and be kind <laughs> it, it was she was difficult I don't know. Can you explain that, Chloe? You had to talk to her. Yeah. Um, like you said, you can kind of tell once you start to talk to someone that they've had a pretty hard life and that they've seen and experienced a lot of things that have made things not easy for them. Yeah. And seeing someone on the other end of that is difficult. You know, you say that just in your job and dealings with people, you've seen a lot of that in, in a different way I do, too, just working at a psychiatric hospital. And it's an odd feeling. and. Yeah. And at the same time, like, you feel sorry for them, but you also have to take into account some of their limitations, especially when you're interviewing them and thinking about facts. You know, first of all, we have 
the almost 14 year gap and every human is prone to error in terms of memory, especially when it's been that long. But we also have people that maybe abuse substances, maybe have some mental health issues, other reasons outside of just time that perhaps we're not getting the truth. And they could be lying, too. So we have to really be observant there. This particular person had everything you just spoke of. Yeah. And we, you know, so that interview I had, I had with Lou and with Greg afterward, Lou and I proceeded to have two other interviews and those subjects also were of pretty similar circumstances. Yeah. You know, that's a big thing too. And I, I talked to a lot of friends of mine that are corrections officers and one of the conversations that came up recently is how many people do you think, and, and the stories this guy tells me, I just, I could never do that for a living. And I thought about it when I was young, but how many of those people, the percentage wise are, are uh, mentally ill or have a mental health issue. And I don't remember the percentage, the things, the stories he can tell you, it, it, it's, it's, it's horrible that in this country, we throw people in jail instead of treating them for, the, for their mental illness and getting them help. That's why these people come out of jail and there's a problem again. But yeah, when you sit there and talk with this particular person, and actually the one I was interested in was an interview you did without me when you, that you did with Lou and when I heard what you had to say about because it was somebody that I'd wanted to talk to for a long time. But yeah, he has a mental health issue, and um, it, it showed just in his appearance, didn't it? Yeah. Um, you can really just pick it up on the way that someone speaks and their affect. And also you see a lot in eye contact or lack thereof. Yeah. You know, this guy couldn't even look at us. A little disheveled when he saw him? Yes. Was this person in particular, do you think that person was lying to you intentionally or it's just part of maybe their mental illness? It's hard hard to say. You know, he did set a boundary early on in the interview that he did not want to talk about drugs. And that was a line that he had set. And we wanted to respect that because we didn't want to scare him away or make him not want to talk to us anymore. And before you say anything else, he brought up drugs later, didn't he? Yep. Yeah, that always happens. Hey, I don't want to talk about this, but and they'll bring it up. He, right. didn't, he didn't want to talk talk about drugs in the sense of uh, the drug connection to to Brianna, or just at all, just in in a general sense. He seemed concerned about getting in trouble himself, like that he didn't want to bring up any kind of because this person does have a criminal background and has served time during in crimes involving drugs and I, I believe burglary and robbery. Burger, so there's. Yeah. This is someone that probably doesn't want to needlessly incriminate himself. Oddly, that it's a weird thing to understand too is that the four of us can sit here and, and talk. We, we, you have a general assumption of what you can get in trouble for and what you can't. Most people do. This person would assume that you could arrest him if he says, "Well, I did drugs. I had a bunch of drugs on me twenty years ago or ten years ago, and I sold them to people." They think they can be arrested for that. Listen, you can't. There's only a couple of things you can get arrested for. You can get arrested for possession or sale. You know, I'm not even quite sure if you can get arrested for intoxication. I mean, it, it would be it have to be some kind of issue to bring that to the forefront that they would. But those are the two things you get busted. No one's going to go back and say, "Hey, ten years ago you did this or that," yeah. unless you're, unless you're flying plane loads into the country. Mm-hmm. It's a little different yeah. than you're importing. But so I think that there's a poor understanding of yeah. what could happen to him, like poor insight there. But at the same time, what, at least at first, what made me think that he was being untruthful was he claimed to really know nothing and to have never met Brianna herself when other accounts say otherwise. So that's odd. But after talking to other people, you kind of get a different story 
like that perhaps he was kind of just being used by the people that he was surrounding with and he really wasn't like in that inner circle even though it appeared that he could have been even though he was surrounded by these people he was kind of on the outskirts and wasn't let in on their secrets you know i was happy that you went up there with lou and and sat with him and i would have gone with him if you if you weren't around i used to do all this stuff on my own which is a really bad idea but you know to go in you don't he doesn't know what to expect he doesn't know who this person is or what he's going to do um and uh the mental illness that's involved and all that stuff so you don't want him to be alone and stuff like that right i was actually going to ask like was that was that a scary experience for you and obviously lou is a for, former law enforcement he's probably packing heat right uh, I don't know if he was that day. I don't, I don't know either. I don't know. Well, <laughs> well there's certain carry permit laws. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure whatever he did, it was following the law. Vermont <laughs> has a very bizarro law where if if I go into Vermont uh, as, a, as a citizen, I can carry my firearm, and there's, there's, there's no problem with it. But if I go in there as a private investigator, I, I have to have a permit to carry my firearm. Why would an average citizen be allowed to just carry their firearm in from New York State, but not a not a professional? That's yeah, that, that seems backwards for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure if he was, but um, you know, he and I communicate pretty regularly, and we drove up to Burlington together, actually. And I I feel very comfortable with him. And yeah, as long as yeah, like, yeah. As, he, if he's and, around, and it's... the fact that there's two of you there, it lets the person know, you know, there's there's a connection here. There's something. Yeah. That, you know, they're not just he can't just get you in a room and have and there's a get you cornered. Well, this particular person, the reason I mentioned that is, um, uh, years ago, I you know, I had spoke to a person that pointed a finger at him, the person that Chloe and Lou talked to, and what this guy said was, listen, I did hundreds hundreds of robberies with this or burglaries with this guy. So if someone's hardcore enough that they've done hundreds of burglaries, not four, you know, you have to think about that. And the guy also said when I was interviewing this particular person, I was sitting in his kitchen uh, up on the Canadian border. And um, he said we used to specifically target elderly women um, because we knew if they left the house, the house is empty, and when they get home, we'll we'll watch for them. We could just go out the back door or whatever we have to do. Very close to where we were sitting talking, I knew, and as he was talking to me, all I could think of was this: the fact that I knew this. An elderly woman had been found about 100 yards from her house. Someone had marched her out into the woods behind her house, and she didn't killed her. And all I could think of was, I wonder if these two guys found you know were in her house and she came home or they thought she was gone and they went in the house and, and she spotted them and they took her out in the woods the impression that he made on me was i mean he had poor posture he w- would not look at lou or me he basically kept his head down like the worst eye contact i've ever experienced in a long-term conversation um sheepish slightly disheveled like you said and his affect and his voice were just very blunted and flat like there, there wasn't a lot of emotion there one of the more interesting things that he mentioned was um, he mentioned visits in psychiatric hospitals and that, quote, they think I'm schizophrenic. And, you know, just coming from, from my position, I was trying to, you know, learn more and see if maybe there are things that he needs help with that aren't being addressed. But he was extremely guarded about that. So it's interesting that he's maybe received such a diagnosis. What did you ask him? I wanted to... I said, you know, why do you think, why do you think they thought you were schizophrenic? You know, what what symptoms are you having? And he really didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. So, what brought you to uh, Lou contacted 
um, the the two of you and said that he had scheduled these interviews? That's that's how he reached out to me. He said that he had three interviews scheduled up in northern Vermont and wanted to know if um, if I wanted to come along. The, the reason for that is that you don't want to be alone with a female. Sure. Without a female with you. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, the first thing that they're going to do is say he touched me. Right. Yeah. Um, what was it that brought Lou to say, well, we need to go talk to these people again? Oh, it's just the information I had. It was a good thing for him to go back. He's, yeah. he's going to do that. He's a professional. He's going to go back yeah. and talk to everybody I talked to. And then he reached out to more. And he'll call me up and he'll say, hey, did you talk to this person? Yes. Well, okay, what did they say? Okay, I'm going to go talk to him. Or he'll say, did you? And I'll say no. And he'll say, well, and I, but I always wanted to. And then he'll go and he'll talk he'll to He'll do it. Yeah. No, whenever something new comes up that, or at least new to me, not not to him, but and we discuss it, it's either I already tracked them down and talked to them or they're on my list and yeah. we're going to have an interview soon. So yeah. he is just extremely diligent i mean he's, he's experienced enough and seasoned enough that he knows who he can go talk to alone kind of thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. he'll do jail interviews alone stuff like that if he needs to but um yeah number one rule don't talk to a woman alone something i keep kind of coming back to and trying to kind of wrap my head around the the theories that are out there about this and that we've talked about on this show and it seems like now that we're kind of getting a lot deeper actually we've been covering brianna's case for almost a year now now that we're getting deeper you can kind of see these theories like branch out and i'm not talking about suicide murder or running away Uh, i'm talking about all, all theories in the murder, un, under the murder uh, umbrella. This Ramon Ryan's branch is one. Mm-hmm. What Katie and Megan talked on this show about is sort of another, which I guess you may not consider murder if that that has any truth to it. And then there's one or two other kind of routes that we're learning about more in detail lately. How relevant do you think these are and and what do you how much stock do you put in these that was really touted i mean i think everybody that knows about this case that was well you know that area of vermont has watched the disappeared show so that show and this is another thing about how television can really twist things or at least an hour-long show they're trying to hit the highlights and show you to give you an idea because you wouldn't know what the hell was going on but they went with the whole ramon ryan's Nathaniel Jackson uh, scenario. So that's what you walked away from. You know, friends of mine that watched it, I said, hey, you watch this show, I was going to be on it. You know, they come around, they go, oh, so what do you think of these guys? What do you think of these guys? Well, there's a huge other picture out there. So it's it, that's a hard thing to talk about. You know? But other than that, I, I wasn't really sure what you were trying to ask. I guess just like, you know, and kind of without, without saying certain names probably, like yeah. uh, I guess like what theories, you know, where are you guys – angling at this point like where where well, are you thinking that's hard to say and you know lance and i talked about this real briefly we should talk about it more what percent of the percentage of the population of people that you know have really good critical thinking skills critical thinking skills that can really look at something object objectively and, and give you a straight answer it's pretty low yeah yeah it's really low and actually the ones that can are the ones that 
you know, they're probably in this room and then, you know, people I'm going to go see after this, Look, you know, just this, people I keep close to me. This is something that. that angers you, doesn't it? It should. Well, it, yeah, I, I say that a lot like that, the critical thinking part and also just not being aware of where like just the, the, the unawareness that most people have. Yeah. Just sort of absent mindedness and unawareness that people have. So if you look at it from a critical thinking point. Yeah. And I think this will answer your question. I'm not sure. What do we know as fact? Is absolute fact. It's not much. You know where she left. You know where she ended up. You know the position of the car and the basic time frame and stuff like that. Once you get further than that, you really don't know much. So one beneficial thing to something like this, to your podcast, is that people get on there and they have opinions. And they. I like to think of it as brainstorming. I don't really like when I hear people saying, I know what happened, or if you knew what happened, we wouldn't be here. But I like the brainstorming part of it because I read those comments to see if there's anything that I didn't think of or what other people think and, and roll it through my head. Tim told me early on, don't take offense to the comments because not everybody's nice and, and not even everybody's going to agree with you and some people are just assholes. So <laughs> I would that, never say that about you know, our listeners. Not, say yeah. that. You know, there are people that occasionally come out and just say something that just doesn't, you know, just isn't decent. But um, – it's it's when you think of it critically, or with some critical thinking skills, we don't know much, and the problem is is that we're chasing after going to talk to people looking for evidence instead of having evidence and going looking for people. It, it, it's a backwards way of doing things, and which is the whole problem. And it's so tempting to look at it. God, it's so tempting to look yeah. at it and say. You know, this is what happened and this is what happened. Yeah. Oh, and that's absolutely. where you're talking about with that the, the critical thinking. That's yeah. where that has to come in because like if you, you said, sat down and you took a pen you and you said, have facts. I'm going to write down everything that I know is an absolute fact. You wouldn't get far. You certainly wouldn't run out of ink. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's a real basic scenario. And then you start hearing these stories and some of which I, I you know, you have to chase after them hard because they, they seem like they have some truth to them. But, you know, you, you get into that critical thinking thing, it's a really difficult conversation to have. And, I, you know, you can go into a room of 100 people and say, how many people believe in psychics? And 80 more raise their hand. I go, are you kidding me? So you all, you people all think that there's magic people in the world, that everybody can predict the future. And it, it, I hate to say it to people, but those are the people that will walk into a room, smile at somebody across the table. The person will lie to them, steal from them, and they thank them. That was really horrible that they put that in this show. And I knew they, they did that, uh, the Oxygen show about um, Maura Murray. I know they did that for sensationalism or whatever. Um, I yeah, think they it, did that because there are eighty people out of a hundred who <laughs> yeah exactly want to see a psychic. Yeah, I mean, we we actually talked about this a lot. The, that specific thing, the every Pomporus, uh, the psychic being in episode six of Oxygen six part um, series called the Disappearance of Maura Murray, um, and and people will say, oh, they did that for ratings. It's like, well, no, they didn't fucking do it for ratings because it's, you're talking about episode six. So the rate ratings are over. Oh, there are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I they did it for? What wasn't to solve the case it was to get people like talking about it like we're doing right now oh i see some people okay. like hate psychics and some people love psychics yeah. and either way they're going to argue about it and someone's going to see those comments and that argument and they say well i gotta watch me that show it just absolutely and we talked about this i actually recommended that and you had already seen it that documentary about the amazing randy yes if you haven't seen it it's called an honest liar he was a magician uh, when his career was kind of over he was just getting old he didn't want to do that particular anymore he took it upon himself to defraud uh, to prove that these people are a fraud. 
And if you watch it and you listen to what he has to say, you will know people and, and people, they will agree with you. They'll go, That's it. And, but they'll still go see one. They'll still believe him. And it's something in the human psyche that makes him do it. But just so you know, if, if you do that, if you're willing to go sit across from a psychic and, and pay them money, you're getting robbed and you're thanking them for it because no one is mad. People are not magic. That's what it comes down to. Okay? What? If those people were all magic, they'd all be living in a big castle with all the booze and all the money and running the world. And then you go into the conspiracy people. Oh, yeah. Please tell us your feelings uh, on, the, uh, on conspiracies. How do, I just don't know how do people fall into this crap that people are spraying the, people are spraying the country with something that's going to make everybody sick. First of all, the logistics, it would never work. I can debunk this with a few internet searches in 10 minutes. If you know but then there are people out there that can uh, can de debunk de debunk it, it. <laughs> yeah. with an internet well, search. Well, you know that's that's kind of like you're talking to a Scientologist where or a, a person that's real religious. They have these thought stopping arguments where if you say something, you know, to somebody who's real religious, they just say, you know, the Lord will provide. Okay, am I not supposed to ask how this is going to happen? I'm just supposed to trust that that's going to happen. So I can go sit on the corner and just wait around. Somehow, money's going to show up. I don't Th- know. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. It's like a thought-stopping argument. You know, the other day I was reading something about a conspiracy. It was a, a debunking thing. And, um, of course, it's all of a sudden rabid in the comments. And this guy goes on in, in detail. I mean, and I'm thinking, I didn't know this stuff. This is pretty interesting. And, the, and one of the points, huge points he made, no one, no one has any footage of any of these hijackers in an airport. None. And he went on really on about it. And he was a really articulate guy. And I read it, and I thought, that's pretty interesting. Picked up my phone, did a Google search on, or a YouTube search. There's 100 videos there, guys walking through the airport. That's them. You know, we know. We know what they did. We know they went down a train to fly and that they told the guy, we don't care how we land. You know, it's the United States. You know what you were told. You Yeah. See, that's the conspiracy. You know what you were told. That's what they want you to believe. Let me tell you something. If you think that the government can pull off an inside job of 9-11 is an inside job. The government can't even get health care right. How are they going to figure this? I, you really think they're all going to keep them? So, you know what? The four of us could have a secret in this room. You assholes would go tell somebody as soon as we walk out the door. You know, there's, there's no way thousands of politicians kept this shit secret. One guy would get fired. He'd go out the back door and go, they blew up those buildings. It just doesn't work that way. Um, but, yeah, if, you, if, you, if your mind is bent to believe something no matter what, you're going to go down and pay somebody $100 to read your palm. They're going to tell you, oh, my God, your father's dead. And, but he, he, he loves you, and you know he wants you to do well in life, and you're going to walk out with a big smile on your face. Um, the one that was really horrible was, and I can't think of her name off the top of my head now, she had that real raspy voice. She was a psychic. She used to be on Montel all the time. Sylvia Brown. Sylvia Brown. If you look at Sylvia statistically, 99.9% of the time, she was wrong. People have done it. People like James Randi actually went through and figured out how often she was wrong. But nobody looks at the the mishits, the wrongs. They always look at the rights. Oh, she got that right. Well, she just asked you a thousand questions till she got it right. And yes, everyone eventually has someone named Harold in their family. If they say a name, sorry, if they say a name, you know, somebody in the audience is going to stand up and say yes, I know a Robert or whatever. Everybody knows a Bob. But um, I watched a a show with her. And a lady was crying. She stood up in the audience and she was crying. And she said, I just want to know what happened to my son. And she said, "Um, he drowned. I'm sorry, he drowned. And the lady's crying her eyes out. I mean, it broke her heart. 
how do you do that to someone? And not on top of it, they end up asking her, well, what was the deal with your son? She said he was in one of the 9-11 buildings. So I'm pretty sure there wasn't a river there. He, he didn't drown. She doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. And she's evil, and she's taking people's money. People are sending her money left and right. She's got a four-dollar-a-minute line that you can call. And she's just making shit up. And to tell a mother whose child died in 9-11 that you're, you know how her son You don't fucking know how her son died. You were nowhere there, near there, you know. So I don't know. I just think the whole thing's evil. Oh, and by the way, did I tell you, end up telling you how Marilyn Monroe died? <laughs> no. Oh, and they start going on and on with these conversations. Oh, this is this big, long story, and JFK had something to do with it. And they, what was it? They shoved barbiturates up her ass so that it would, she, she would OD, but no I heard it was under it. her toenail. They injected yeah. it under her toenail because so, the first person that came in said there was no pill bottle, but then when they came back in later, there was a pill bottle. Oh, see. Someone it's always something it. tricky yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is it that humans can't believe, people can't believe that an actress – Overdosed because she missed, she mixed barbiturates with alcohol. You can't wrap your head around that. So the answer to that is Whitney Houston, Heath Ledger, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Winehouse, Anna Nicole Smith, Chris Farley, Fe- River Phoenix, John Belushi. Go on and on. I mean, you could just name hundreds of Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin. None of none of those were having an affair with the president oh, of the yeah, United that's, States. Though. That's what my brother said too when I saw, ah. when I told him that. He goes, it, you know, you can Got go him. you can go on and on. Uh, Margot Hemingway, um, who wrote In Cold Blood, what was his name? Truman Capote. Truman Capote. Uh, Elvis Presley, the biggest celebrity that ever lived. You know, no one can believe that he's dead. He's dead, dude. Let it go. He died. But Kirk Cobain didn't kill himself. Oh no, no, no. He didn't. He didn't do drugs either. But people, for some reason, you know, people get that fascination. Oh, Marilyn Monroe. People can't believe that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald shot Kennedy. He was a marksman. He had every opportunity to do it, and he shot him. He's dead. By the way, you talk about drugs and, you know, people can't believe that people died and this and that and the other thing. You have to understand, last year in this country, I looked up the statistics. Last year it was in this country uh, 60,600-and-something people died of a drug overdose. Mm. That's the size of the city of Utica near Mm. where I live. That's literally like an entire city dying in a year. That's pretty mind-boggling for me because I'm familiar with the city. It's just not an unusual thing, unless you're Marilyn Monroe. Is there anything um, that we can talk about to bring kind of bring it back to Brianna before we wrap it up? Did you find that, uh, you know, just talking about the psychics, uh, did you find that you received a lot of information uh, from psychics about what's happened? And, and you know, do you I had to talk to one one time for hours. I like that how sounds you said terrible. you, like you yeah. had to talk awful. to one. After uh, I hung up, I stuck a fork in my eye. Yeah. I was asked to talk to her. She lived in like Ohio. And so I said I would. I got on the phone with her, and I was sitting at my desk with my feet up, drink next to me. I knew it was going to be a long ride. (laughs) And my pen (laughs) had my notepad. And she told me, by the time I got done, the list of stuff that she told me, and a lot of the conversation, most of the conversation actually, she wasn't talking to me. It was her husband. And he said, she's sitting on the floor. This exhausts her. And I could hear her mumbling and stuff, and he would say, she's next to a tree. It's near water. I'm like, that's Vermont. You know, what do you want me to tell you? You know, there's water and trees everywhere in Vermont, even in the cities. And she went on and on. And then she got really gruesome and she said things about them sexually assaulting her and using sticks. And these people are shameless. 
And uh, so I said, well, you know, where are you people again? She's like, oh, we're in Ohio. He says, she is like a beacon in the night. And these souls come to her. They see the beacon. They come to her. And they speak to her. She was actually saying she was speaking to Brianna. And and Brianna didn't tell her who to uh, who to uh, arrest. No, because no. so, they can't. T- no psychic can ever tell you that they can't. Mm-hmm. You know that wouldn't that be great? Yeah, if that's you not how it works, go, guys. Listen, yeah. who killed who? So and so, and they went, Tim. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. the guy. That's you don't have to. No, they don't. They beat around the bush and they tell you it's this, and you're going to find a, a water bottle on the ground next to him, and all this. It's just bullshit. It's all bullshit. At most aggravating conversation I ever had, I called Bruce the next day. I said, never again. Not doing that again. Yeah. 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 And Bruce doesn't want anything to do with those people. Mm-mm. Nothing. Yeah. Did he mention that to you? Just That's just the overall impression I get. Yeah. If, if he didn't directly say it, when we met with him, his whole thing, he's very rational. He doesn't get his hopes up needlessly, probably because he's gotten his hopes up the most out of anyone. Yeah. But, yeah, because of that, because of how realistic he is and just grounded, I can't see him being interested in this idea. Now, how far are we off to being comfortable with, uh, you know, speaking candidly about people involved with this? Because I know we we're, we we always dance around names and, and, you know, we have to bleep out certain names. How comfortable are we? At what point would you say, I'm going to start naming these guys publicly? You can't, I, you can't now unless they're in the public realm. And I mean, unless they've been brought in, uh, disappeared wouldn't have put, Ryan's and Jackson's names on there if they weren't already named in other articles and stuff like that. Hank Alberelli put out two articles, one in 2006, one in 2007. Um, they were the templates still to this day for the basics. Uh, fantastic articles. Hank's a wonderful guy, uh, did a great job. He lived in the area at the time. Um, the Maitlands were very thankful to, of the work he did, and, and rightfully so, because he did such a great job. And to this day, he's still in touch with people in Vermont. He doesn't live there anymore. He lives in uh, between Florida and London. But um, they're so full of detail. And the other thing is is that that affidavit that came from Debbie Gorton, none of that ever would have come up. Uh, I, I think I would have found it in a really roundabout way eventually, uh, actually. But he went right to that. I mean, he followed uh, Ryan's down to Burlington, uh, the death of Legia Collins, if you know, if you know the story. Uh, and then he and I found the affidavit, and that came out uh, in the second article, um, which, you know, we talked about that too, that, that affidavit, and it was brought up that um, some people commented on it, an organization commented on it, and they said, you know, this is all bullshit, and and we don't believe it and all that crap. Well, that'll show you, first of all, uh, the idiocy of that particular group. And they, they don't know what they're doing. They just don't know what they're doing. Which particular group? You know, I don't want to harass them anymore. Well, they it, get defensive. It, it, and a, and, and a, I think it's just better left alone. In a roundabout way, you're talking about a group of people that... Yeah, they, they have a group out there that does some work and they, they, they profess to be investigators and they're just not. Okay. And they're just not. And, they, and and once again, and they're they're going to deny the fact that it's illegal to do or illegal, but yeah, it is illegal to go out there and profess that you're something that you're not. But they do, and it is legal, and it's you know it'll catch up to them at some point. It may not catch up to them, you know. And people say, well, it must not be. I'm not in trouble. Well, just because you rob banks and you get away with it for years, and then all of a sudden you get caught, you know, it doesn't. You know, when you get caught, it'll come up. Back to just just back to the. Uh 
names and what we can and cannot say. I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So names like Ramon Ryans, Nathaniel Jackson, they're already in the public They've domain. The public so realm, yeah. so legally, those are names we can say. But the group of people that we've been talking about that we haven't been saying their names, those names have not been introduced. And thus, legally, we cannot. I don't know about that. I just I wouldn't want to be the one to bring to say someone's name and bring them into something like this. To be the podcast. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's really up to us. And, and the, the problem is uh, that there are these sort of avenues that are developing and not all of them can be guilty. It's just because some of these people are not the brightest and they they talked rumors and stuff and they, they may believe what they say is true. There's no reason to bring them out in the public eye. As far as Jackson and Ryan's go, I don't care. They're shitbags. I don't care what we say about them. Fuck them. And if they <clears throat> if they come looking for me, that's fine. I don't have to go looking for them. So I guess this is kind of what I was talking about a little bit uh, earlier, right? So there's this avenue of, of an accidental overdose. There's this avenue of, of Ramon Ryan's Jackson and potentially Brianna having been in Burlington after she went missing. And then there's the Joker uh, side of this. And again, they can't all be true. So th- these are three separate potential outcomes so I guess what I'm wondering is which, like, what are you got? What are you guys leaning towards? Or Greg? I mean, you're, you're obviously. In the meantime, Greg has just pulled from his enormous folder um, a, a list of what looks like seven points or six points. Okay, yeah, let's read this. It says yeah. ultimate possible outcomes. Uh, one is death due to non-acquaintance abduction. I think that one's. Pr- I mean, obviously, you can't strike anything because, as you say, we don't know. You know, that's, that's the weird thing one. about the Mora case. About yeah. when you discuss Mora, and everybody says, "Well, the two aren't related." Well, yeah, you know, you play the numbers, and, and that's what you know. Good people are going to do when they look at this. But the fact of the matter is, you don't know. Right. Nobody fucking knows, and, and everybody says, "Well, I do know. I don't know." But Brianna's case is a lot less likely to be random, I would say, don't you think? Just on the surface? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But if both were non-acquaintance, then it's possible that it could have been the same stranger between the two of them. Just the fact that we we don't know and we don't have any answers, we just don't remove it because of that. We just... Sure. Um, Number two on here, uh, living due to non-acquaintance abduction. Number three, death due to acquaintance abduction living due to acquaintance abduction six living due to voluntary voluntary disappearance seven death due to drug overdose this is an example of critical thinking based on your investigation and not leading any uh, sort of speculation out there with each one of these yeah you can speculate on these but these are the, the logical sl- scenarios the logical solutions based on information yeah okay so so we know we we know that that's the list. We can lean towards certain things um, on that. And then whatever you decide based on that is kind of the question I was asking, I guess. Right? Yeah, if you look at Joker, I mean, and that's another name you can throw up there because everybody knows it. And it was in Hank's articles and stuff like that. Right. So it doesn't matter if we talk about it. Um, he, he knew her in passing. I don't. We don't know how well, but we knew that they had spoken uh, briefly. So he knew who she was. Um, he claimed many times to have caused her death. He claimed in jail that he did. Um, police talked to him about it, and he said ah, it was just to scare people and stuff like that. But we just don't know. Um, and that's another thing we've been following up on. But uh, and, and I understand. I think Lou told me that he's out now. He's actually out on the streets. Dangerous, dangerous guy. He was, I think, known by other people to kind of be like a violent shakedown kind of guy. If someone owed him money, he was on them. And amongst 
oh, many other things. Stories. I'll put you in a shit pit like Brianna Maitland. Yep. Threats like that. One guy you owed money. Uh, one guy had access to his money when he went to jail, and uh, he took the money and he bought some drugs and sold it and actually made more money. And when he came out of jail, he said, "Hey, I took your money, but I made you even more." And here it is. <laughs> he took a wrench and hit the guy over the head for touching his money. And I mean, you know, I kind of say that casually, but you know, the guy turned around, he took a wrench and bashed him over the back of the head. Did he kill the guy? No, but he messed him up pretty bad. At first, we thought that he was in prison at the time of Brianna's disappearance, but wasn't he released the day before? Yeah, come to find out, he was out for a day or two, and you know, the police kept saying, uh, yeah, this is a rough thing too. They they told me, they said, you know, I would have known if he was in town kind of thing, which is bullshit. Um you don't know if the guy comes out and breezes into town. I mean, they would know eventually if he was hanging around. The cops are going to spot him. They all know him. You know, it would, word would get around. I used to do, when I worked in Utica five days a week, five nights a week, I knew who was around. I knew who was in and out, you know, but it would take a while. You'd eventually bump into a friend and they'd say, oh, so-and-so's out, or you'd see him on the street. That's that's all. But he said, I would have known. No, you wouldn't have. I was, I was going to bring that up, actually, because it, that was in some uh, some of the notes that Greg emailed us a week or two ago about uh, Soto jo- Joker having been uh, released somewhere around 24 hours before Brianna went missing. Like, what the hell? If this guy was involved, though, he's got 24 hours and he wraps himself up in this... It happens all the time. But really? What do you happens, need? Especially with the guy that's violent. Yeah. He, you know, if, if he gets out and he goes, I need money... You know, this guy doesn't have a support system like you and I, well, where we, we go to our family and your brother goes, left. hey, stay at my house. But know? there were checks left on her. He, on her... he doesn't have any access. He, he doesn't know how to cash o- a check. Only, only she can cash her own paychecks, right? But he would have taken them, though. He would know what to do with them. Yeah, and but he still would have taken them. And I it's possible like. that it, in the struggle, well, I mean, yeah. whatever happened, it was fast. Her headlights were left on. It's possible that he didn't grab that yeah, with him. It, he didn't see them. But I also was under the impression that you really can't cash the checks if you're not that person if you can't cash yeah, he's not, paycheck. He, 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 look th- this guy's just a thug he, everybody you talk to the first thing they tell you is he's got no conscience he doesn't care he doesn't care if he hurt you he hurt you and turn around eating a sandwich but and we don't know we uh, the thought was just maybe that he gets out of jail and he goes what am i gonna do now he's standing there on the street going where do i go right well people up in montgomery owe me money that's where i'm going right you know and, and he had some friends he had some connections and stuff with people he sold drugs with and stuff like that whether it had anything to do with her i don't know maybe you know, she did. Maybe before he went into jail, she owed him money, and he went into jail. He come back out, and he's ready to meet. To we don't know. I mean, we have no idea. What we do know for a fact is that he was telling people that he killed her, and he told actually uh, where he buried her, and he did it on multiple occasions. And um, you know, he would make comments too. There was information that came out of jail. He would make comments where he would say uh, he would come back into his cell and shoot his mouth off and he'd say i'm never fucking telling them where i put her you know comments that would make you think that he did know something well, why is he going to say that when he gets back to his cell unless he wants to impress the guy or whatever pretty bad dude and it, and it starts really early on in his life i mean it's he actually uh if the story is true in one of his uh, court cases the, his attorney was arguing on his behalf to mitigating circumstances he was talking about when he lived in puerto rico as a child he he watched uh, a group of men show up at his house and drag his mother out to the street and shoot her in the head, walk away, get in the car and leave. He, he sat there and watched the whole thing. You know, it's, it's just a, a rough life. 
this is a person who's predisposed to violence and violent uh, behavior and yeah. um, sort of a product of his environment, right? Yeah. And he gets out of jail. How long was he in jail for? Uh, geez, uh, collectively, I don't even know. I mean, he, he'd been in and out of jail, oh, too, right? yeah, all the time. So just... I, don't, I don't know what the um, – I've never been to jail, so I don't know what the, what the mental um, breakdown is when you are in jail and you get used to being incarcerated. And then you come out and you say, I don't know what to do, and what I do know is crime. And then, like you said, I know people up in Montgomery who owe me money. I could probably use some money right now. And the – the paychecks is interesting, but someone like that is looking for looking for cash. They're not. They're yeah, not, it's just a piece of yeah. paper to him, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he probably looked at. it. I mean, if he even saw it, people in extremely bad neighborhoods, extreme poverty, or people like him who are just thugs, they have no concept of a bank. That that, that means nothing to them. They have their own usury system, you know, uh, and and they don't think, well, geez, I, I should go to school and I should get a job, or maybe I go to my friends and he'll give me a job doing this or that. No, the first thing they think is I'm going to rob somebody. Or what can I find on the street to sell at a pawn shop or something? And that was this guy's mindset. He was just a thug. So, uh, Soto, if you're listening, Wormtown, the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown are out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yep, Wormtown, New Mexico. It's hot here. Hot here in New Mexico. person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. <laughs> 